effectiveness. We think about it all the time, but we may not realize we think about effectiveness. How effective was the solution to the problem I wish I could fix? How effective was the strategy to deal with the employee I wish I could change? How effective was the cleaning agent to get the dirty spot out of my shirt since I just seemed to drip stuff on myself? How effective was the patch on my tire so I could keep riding home and not have to phone a friend from out on the highway? How effective was that parenting book to teach my kid how to use the potty versus, well, they haven't made up their mind yet? How effective was the coach, the offensive line, the quarterback's decision-making, anything like that, right? We think about effectiveness all the time. I've got a funny one for you, though, and these are tips to be an effective teenager. So teenagers, if you're in the house or you're online and want to pay attention, those of you that still act like teenagers from time to time, you can pay attention as well. But thank you, sir. I see that out there. The teenager pro tips, and you can find these online on Instagram, and you can find them yourself, but I saw them this week, and I thought, this is hysterical, and it's about effectiveness. So here you go. If you want to be an effective teenager, 9 p.m. is the proper time to request supplies for tomorrow's school project, 10 p.m. if you're a pro. Where to put wrappers, candy in the sofa, band-aid on the counter. After drinking a cup of water, drink water from a different cup. That's an effective tip for being a teenager. Leave a half swallow of milk in the container, put it back in the fridge so you can say, it's not empty. It wasn't empty, was it? When asked to go get a sibling from another room in the house, holler at the sibling from right beside the person who asked you. I've had my children do that. I don't know if the rest of you have. Prepare socks for the laundry by rolling them up tightly and occasionally adding sand. I don't know where all the sand comes from in our laundry and how my children do that. Well, one of them anyhow. When the dishwasher is empty, put your dirty dishes in the sink. Hmm, I don't know if anybody else has that one. If you uh, scrunch up a towel correctly, did you know it'll stay wet forever? And you know, the proper way to hang a towel is to not to. And moments before it's time to go somewhere, yell, where's my shirt? And if you leave two squares of toilet paper so you don't have to change the roll. And of course, the last one, when the trash is full, put more trash on it. I don't know if anybody else's house is like this, but these are true to my house to a certain degree, and I love my kids, you know that, now they're all going to be mad at me, but I didn't call them by name, did I? No. I'm just trying to illustrate the idea of effectiveness. If you haven't read your Bibles already, would you join me in Acts chapter 14 will be our key text today. We rarely think of the idea of effectiveness for being followers of Jesus. At least not in those terms. We think about what is right and what is wrong. We think about what is righteous and what is sinful. But we don't think about our effectiveness in being a witness for Jesus or sharing the gospel or living like Christ so that others look at us and say, hey, that person's different. I wonder what is different about him. Well, it's Jesus. We don't think about our effectiveness in meeting needs. We don't think about our effectiveness in loving one another. We don't think about our effectiveness in demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yet, 
I want to make a case today that the Bible speaks to all those things and how effective we are in living our Christian values. Not just who we are, but what we do because of who we are. Now, our passage of Scripture today uh, leads us on a map here, and so we'll see that map on the screen here. And they, oh, hey, look, here we go. So remember, our missionaries on the first missionary journey started over here in Antioch of Syria to your right. They come across to Cyprus a couple weeks ago as we studied. They go all the way up there into what is the Galatian region you see in green there. And then they go from today, they're going to go from uh, Iconium here to Lystra and Derby, and all the way back around and retrace their steps, except they're going to get over to Adalia and they're going to skip Cyprus on the way back. And that all happens in chapter 14 here today. Um, so I wanted you to see that, just so you have an idea. They're covering hundreds of miles and thousands of foot of elevation as they go over mountain ranges and things like that. Uh, and even though it's in one chapter of Scripture, and it looks quick to us, it may have happened over weeks or months' time. Matter of fact, the entire missionary journey is estimated to have taken about a year from the time they left Antioch, being commissioned and sent out to the time they came back to Antioch. So, we've got our Scripture memory verse of the month now that reminds us of their mission and our mission as well. Let's say that together. Acts twelve twenty four. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Acts 12, 24. Would you pray with me? God, our Father, we're going to open your word and we're going to read it and ask that you speak to us like always. And that within this passage of scripture, you'd speak to us what your, only, your Holy Spirit can. But we'd see what it is that you might desire us to do differently or become differently that we might be more effective witnesses of Jesus we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me if you're able to in the honor of reading God's word? I know I normally do that the other way, but we're going to do it this way today. Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through the end of the chapter, verse 28. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. You see it there again. Verse 4. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot among, afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they preached the good news. They continued to preach the good news. Verse 8. In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Here it is again. When the crowd saw that Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconium language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priests of Zeus, whose temple was outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Verse 14. But when the apostles... Barnabas and Paul heard this. They tore their clothes, rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Why, man, why are you doing this? We are only men, human like you. 
We are bringing you the good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Verse 18, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping their crowds from sacrificing to them. Then some of the Jews came from Iconium and Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraged them to remain true in the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and they had, uh, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah. From Adaliah, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Thank you. You could be seated. It took a while to read that passage of Scripture, but as I said, the uh, weeks and months it took for them to do that was much longer. If we go back to chapter uh, 14, verse 1, you consider what's happening here, that they start in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas, and they're on, ongoing in their missionary journey. And then a great number of Jews and Gentiles believe in them, it says. But there are others that are stirred up against them that don't like what they're hearing, don't like what they're saying, and they seek to stir up the crowd among them, even though they're doing miraculous signs. They're speaking boldly for the Lord, performing miraculous signs. The first point on your outline today is that effective Christ followers serve others with boldness. Serve others with boldness. We see that right there in verse 3. It uses that word, but we see it again in verse 10. We'll get there in a few moments. They serve others with boldness. John MacArthur put it this way. He said, boldness is that essential quality without which nothing significant can be accomplished for the gospel. Boldness is what enables believers to persist in the face of opposition. Boldness is you keep on going because you know what you've been called to do and you know who's called you to do it and he's going to carry you through. The songs Myra picked for us to sing today were just perfect to illustrate this passage of scripture and persisting in our faith and following on no matter what opposition we face. What if I'm not naturally bold, however? What if my nature is more one of timidity and shyness? Well, there's prayer, there's faith, there's courage. And then there's the fact that you're asking God to take your nature and transform it supernaturally to make you more like Christ, to do a miraculous thing in you so that even though you are naturally timid when it comes to being a witness for Christ, when it comes to seeking to be effective for Christ, you would be bold. Remember what the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
I can't do them on my own. I'm not supposed to do them on my own. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's move on in our passage of Scripture. As you see, verse 4, the people of that city were divided. And so they made a plan to mistreat them and stone them. Verse 6 says they found out about it. So they went to some other cities, Lystra and Derbe, where they continued to preach the good news. They're going on down the road. But what did it say there in verse 7? Where they continued to preach the good news. Effective Christ followers serve others with persistence. Persistence. They did not stop in their boldness. They kept on going. They were persistent. Some folks are go-getters. Others are more like, nah. I mean, some of us don't have a persistent bone in our body or we struggle with that. Mark Twain once said to an acquaintance, he said he died at the age 30. They just buried him at the age 60. I don't know if you know people like that, that they've stopped living, they've stopped learning, they've stopped growing, they've stopped seeking they stop pursuing the call that God has had for them on their life. They stop becoming more like Jesus. Friends, don't stop. When it comes to being like Jesus, persist in what he's called you to do. It's what he desires of you. The apostles persisted in their mission. And it says in verse 8 that they went to Lystra and they met a man. And there's three different descriptions here. He was crippled in his feet was lame from birth, and had never walked. Just to make sure you knew that he was absolutely positively crippled, he, Luke, the writer, says he's three different ways that he was crippled. And going on in verse 8, Peter saw, or Paul saw, he, uh, had the faith to be healed. And we see that boldness again when he said to him, Stand up, walk. There was no doubt in Paul's mind that God would heal him. It was simple. It was certain. It was exact. It was precise. It was a command because Paul had faith in what God would do. So we have boldness. We have persistence. Let's move on to verse 11. Verse 11, as we move through our passage of Scripture, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down among us. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes. Now, why did they do this? Years before, there was a uh, writer who wrote a story, if you will, in that area of what was then Galatia. And he wrote about the fact that Zeus and Hermes took on human form and came to that area to see if there was hospitality and people would help them. And they were turned away from a thousand different homes. Finally, one poor farmer and his wife welcomed them in. And though they blessed that poor farmer and his wife, they cursed the rest of the region for a thousand years because of the thousand homes. And so the people in this region had this affinity or fear, if you will, of Zeus and Hermes. So when Paul and Barnabas show up and do miraculous signs and preach the gospel with authority and boldness, everybody goes, wow, it's got to be Zeus and Hermes. We really messed up a long time ago. We got to get it right this time. We better make it a big deal about these guys. And so they call the priest of Zeus and they bring him into town and they're going to offer sacrifices. Now they're all speaking their Lyconian language. Paul and Barnabas don't speak that language. They speak Hebrew. They speak Greek. They may speak Aramaic, but they don't speak Lyconian. So finally, they understand what the guys are doing, and they like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Verse 14, when the apostles Paul, Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed out in the crowd shouting to them, which leads us to your third effective Christ follower, serve others with humility. 
They were not going to be puffed up. They were not going to say, hey, we did that. We preached and all these people believe. We prayed or put our hands on this guy or said, stand up, and he did. They didn't let any of that go to their head. Even though God moved with power in what they did, they responded with humility. Tearing your clothes for people like them was a sign of repentance from, or fear for blasphemy. And they didn't want someone to think they were a god. They tore their clothes. When we think about humility, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. You want to hear that again so you can write it down? Maybe you've heard it before. Humility is not thinking any less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's about others, honoring others, loving others. Charles Swindoll talks about in his study of Jesus Christ, he found that only one place where Jesus described himself, and what was it that Jesus said? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. When Jesus described himself, he used two words, gentle and humble. Effective Christ followers seeking to be like Jesus should demonstrate humility in the way we live. Let's look at verse 15, and we get our fourth point, caring. Effective Christ followers serve others with caring. You see that in a couple verses there, verse 15 and verse 22. But in verse 15, he says, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made everything. And then Paul preaches a sermon and he meets them where they're at. Talks to them because they don't have any background of Judaism or the Hebrew mindset or what we know as the Old Testament. And he talks to them from creation, how God was at work. They were demonstrating caring. They go on in that passage of Scripture to explain what God had done to them. But then notice what happens in verse 19. Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium. Now, Iconium is on Asia Minor continent, but Antioch, they had to come a long way. Now, it may have been that they were from Antioch and they were there uh, on business, but it seems like these were Jews who were after Paul and Barnabas, who were seeking to oppose them. And it says, verse 19, some Jews from Antioch and Iconium won over the crowd and they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city. Wait a second. Just a few verses ago, they wanted to offer sacrifices to them as gods, but now they're going to stone them and drag them outside the city and leave them for dead? Now, we get the idea that there were probably a few weeks, maybe even a few months in there from what happens in the next verse, but still, they go from being heroes to zeros. What a fickle people the folks there were. I don't like us today, right? We're like, whoa, that guy's the greatest, until he's not. Oh, we love that until we don't. They preached the word there and a large number of folks turned to Jesus. So they left and went to Derbe. And in Derbe they preached in a large number and I'm in verse 21. But then they returned to Lystra and Iconium. Now wait a second. These are the places where they had been threatened to be stoned, where they had been stoned, where they'd been put out of. But look at what they did. They demonstrated their caring, as we see in verse 22. They strengthened the disciples, encouraged them to remain true, 
In verse, they warned them as well, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And in verse 23, they appointed elders among them to lead their church. They demonstrated their caring in a practical way by what they did. Let's look at your fifth point for effective Christ followers, and that's prayerfulness. Prayerfulness, because when they ordained elders, they did it with fasting and prayer. Anytime, as we talked about last week, you need to discern something, you have a major decision in your life, not only can you use fasting, but prayer, or excuse me, prayer, but fasting, that God gives us the gift of fasting to help focus our heart's attention and our, mind, our mind's affection and our heart's attention on our Lord so that we might clearly discern what he's called us to do, prayerfulness. And as they did, then they moved back through the map. They are heading back to Antioch to report on their ministry. And it leads us to a question. Actually, two questions as we seek to conclude our sermon today. And that's to become more effective servant of Jesus. Which of these characteristics do I need most? When you consider that idea of boldness, is that what you need? Having your mind made up to show courage in a given situation. Maybe for you, it's persistence. The grit to not give up, to fulfill the mission that God has called you to. Maybe it's humility, honoring and loving others above and beyond yourself. Maybe it's caring, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in the way that you relate to others. Maybe for you, it's prayerfulness. That you need to look at your calendar and find a time to set aside regular, devoted, focused, uninterrupted time of prayer, conversation with God to seek Him out. We all need a characteristics like that in our life, but which one for you? Which leads to that second application question. How can God increase it within me? If I know I need one of those five things, maybe it's something else that the Holy Spirit said to you. But how can God increase that within you? What is it that needs to change in you? What do you need to stop doing in order that He might start doing? What do you need to give up in order that God might give you something new? How do you need to decrease in order that Jesus might increase? What will God do through that? When I lay down my pride, when I lay down my desire for control, when I lay down my fear, when I lay down my unforgiveness, when I lay down my anger, when I respond in faith, courage, and love, and with hope. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you. And we thank you for the words you've given us and the examples of the apostles as they effectively, with boldness and persistence, humility and caring and prayerfulness, shared your message across a whole region of Asia Minor. It's true that you may not have called us to be missionaries like that but you have put us where we're at in our lives, among the people that make up our family and friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, that we might be a witness to. So help us, God, to be effective in the way that we love others and the way that we demonstrate Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.